David Murren specialises in utilising the past to predict the future. He's an accomplished public speaker, hedge fund manager, and market trader. To date, he's authored three books, Breaking the Code of History, Lions Led by Lions, and now or never the Global Forecast UK Strategic Defence Review 2020. His fourth, The Road to Wars, is due to come out in 2021. He also writes a blog on his website, www.davidmurren.co.uk, where more can be found on his life, views and work. Hi there, welcome to the state of it. Here we are again, two very different vibes today. I'm wearing my robe and dad is dressed in, what is that dad? That's not a jumper. That's a zip. A zip up? A quarter zip. He is here, he's just not speaking. Do you want to say anything dad? I'm trying to work out the relevance of our clothing to this conversation. Okay. Well I'm here with my dad, so thank you for listening to that little escapade we had. Today we're going to talk about China. I think we're ready to go in. Brilliant, Okay. What do you respect about China and its people? Uh, well, having studied its martial arts history in the internal sector for you know three decades, China has the most incredible internal wisdom. And if you look at the Taoist philosophies and you look at its history, it is a remarkable country. Um, I could make parallels with the West, by the way, with the Egyptian civilization, the Greek civilization, the Roman civilization, the Western world. So it's not as if we don't have it, but they have a huge body of their own culture and understanding. And, and I have massive respect for that particular body. In their current incarnation, though, since the Boxer Revolution of 1902, they are essentially um, rising in a new form of empire organizational protocol and they're now into the expansive phases which i think actually represent a huge challenge to the western world which we'll come on and discuss what are your views on president xi i think as a chinese citizen that uh was prepared to accept hierarchical leadership and the suborning of my individual freedoms and right to think and act into a collective. She is probably the most effective leader we've seen in modern history. He seeks to make China great, to make it the superpower of the world by 2030, no less, much quicker than people realize. And um, he has enacted a pathway um, through all sorts of challenges where he's really on track. So if my individual freedoms were not of concern to me, and if I was a believed in my nation's supremacy and the concepts and ideas of the Communist Party, I would perceive him to be an extremely capable and effective leader. Doing a bit of reading about him, I think his power lies in the fact that he seems to be not a fanatic, but actually quite intelligent and disciplined. Do you think he poses more of a threat than other leaders of the Soviet era before him? Yes, I, I think it's a very good point. You know, let's just take let's take some some. Obviously, these examples are um, offensive in some ways, but they're realistic because they represent nations sought to expand that extreme hierarchies. Hitler was one of them. 
Um, and we all know that he had psychological imbalances that only became worse as the war went on and, and, and things turned against him. But he wasn't really a stable fellow. Um, Stalin, I would say, equally so. Some huge chips on both shoulders and all over the place. Um, you know, pretty scary, I would say. Um, and Mao, too, actually, I would say had some serious issues in terms of the balance of personality, but I don't think we can level that against Xi. He basically came from the Mao era where his family and father worked closely in the inner circle. He knew what it was like to have his father rejected from power and survived really what the barren period of, of being on the wrong side of, of, of Mao's politics in a very draconian state. He survived. He rose through the ranks. He's highly capable. Um, he strikes me as truly formidable because the goal that he seeks isn't from some psychological internal balance. He actually, I think, is is relatively a balanced person. But what he really seeks is the domination of the world by China, and he sees it as a Chinese inheritance to do so. That puts him in a position that is unique amongst you know, leaders that, that, lead, that lead an expansive system in an industrial world. And it makes him very, very formidable and never to be underestimated. Talking about the Nazis there um, makes me think of social policies. What do you think of China's social policy, or specifically the Chinese government's social policies towards the people? Well, look, I'm speaking as a Westerner that believes in freedom of speech and the individual and the power of the individual. And there are two human forms of, of social organisation. One is hierarchical where the individual is suborned to the pyramid of power with someone at the top. And the other is a, a, a democracy with a flatter pyramid. Yes, it has a power structure, but it's more fluid. Um, and the idea behind that process is the individual's abilities are maximized, which collectively maximizes this, the whole of society. The hierarchical protocols are much more really about everyone is suborned to the collective and the mass of the collective is where the power comes from. Now, um, as a Westerner, I can't conceive, you know, I don't think Westerners understand that what is she is creating is the, is the constriction and limitation of individuality at a level that is completely diametrically opposed to anything that democracy stands for. This is a true clash of cultures in a very extreme way, N not indifferent to the Nazi concepts or the communist concepts when they, they're really just, it's another incarnation of that whole process. And so once again, this battle between hierarchy and democracy and meritocracy and you know, a broader based structure and pyramid is back into human you know, global geopolitics. And it's as significant as it was in those previous clashes. Could you give some examples of the hierarchical nature of China currently? Well, if you just look at, you know, Xi, he has, Xi, after Mao, the Chinese tried to spread power amongst the Politburo because they never again did they wish to concentrate so much power into one person's hands. And Xi has managed to grab all that power and more in some ways. Um, and, and, you know, despite, so there's an oscillation in the Chinese system between complete power of the emperor at the top, and he really is an emperor. Uh, versus a more broader-based Politburo process where there are a group of people at the top. And China is at the apex of the pendulum swing towards hierarchical, dictatorial, single control. And he is, she is ruthlessly removed, you know, through his purges, which, you know, can be 
described in many various creative terms. The bottom line is those purges are all about removing the competition. And and what's interesting about this incarnation in China is they represent the bigger single population. So, you know, Germany was significant in European terms. The Soviets were probably twice or three times as large a population as the German population. And the Chinese population at 1.2 billion plus is almost a factor of 10 bigger than the, the Russian evolution or well, perhaps less than the USSR, maybe six times. But till you're looking at bigger and bigger hierarchical systems. And in that regard, technology is truly going to help the CCP to create this total dominance. And they do it already through through the you know through their ability to observe communications, observe how you email, everything you do, the points you have to get to, to stay in the Communist Party. This is you, the use of technology, a little bit like Animal Farm's vision of a centralized controlled society that, you know, I would say Stalin and Hitler would have loved to have had at their disposal to create that totalitarian perspective. But the Chinese and the communist, well, the communist party, not the Chinese, it's very important to differentiate the two. The communist party are enacting that now. It is very important to differentiate the two. I was just about to say that. With Xi, do you feel as if he has a similar power in China that Putin exercises in Russia? I think he's greater power. I think, um, the Russians have an interesting duality. Um, they they have a sort of individual psychology and they have a collective psychology which is more akin to the Asian civilizations. So they're a duality. You sit in their architecture, you see Western architecture alongside Asian architecture or Asian... And, and so it was no coincidence that the Soviets, for example, manipulated and created the Communist Party and Mao was a creation of Stalin because he understood their mindset, something the West still doesn't really do very well. So the Russians have, I think, a, a, a duality, whereas the Chinese don't. And so Putin would find it hard to apply exactly the same methodology. He would still get more individuality from his system. So now I think the Chinese are really the, the personification of hierarchical structuring under Xi. Do you believe that the Western reliance on manufacturing, or specifically Chinese manufacturing, will change in the future? Well, let's look at what really happened. And, you know, this is a piece which, if the West understood, it would be very resentful. So you know, under Deng and the whole policy of China was to bring itself on a par with the Western powers. Um, and Mao, you know, tried to create all sorts of accommodations with Russia. For example, you know, he starved 50 to 100 million of his population in terms of selling grain to Russia for what he hoped were nuclear secrets. So the Chinese have suffered enormously in this leader's aspiration to bring China to equality with the West. The, the plan they've really been enacting, and I'd say, you know, let's say since 1996, and I say 1996 because there were two things that that occurred. One is that China saw the dominance of American military technology in the first Gulf War. So it realized that American military dominance was significant. And the second is that in the Taiwan Straits, two carriers and an assault craft came through the Taiwanese Strait in the, in the crisis there and clearly made the point that China didn't control its waters. So they created a strategy and have been working on almost a 50-year plan and that 50-year plan is how to reach dominance. And they did it by encouraging Western manufacturing, essentially to the point where Westerners would come to China, bring their IP, 
which would then become Chinese, fund their factories and bring their technology up to a standard in the West. They duped us to invest in their country. They duped us that they would become like us and they would want to join the World Trade Organization and that they would move from a hierarchical structure to a democracy. That was the hope of the West and it was fed by the Chinese knowingly. And there was, we became more reliant on their economic manufacturing capability. We lost our own, so we became more dependent on that process. And that's when they started to accelerate their IP stealing process, both in country and out of country. So we have been duped. And in Trump really called China quite rightly on what was going on. The Obama government, you know, just kept on hoping until maybe the last year of his term when he realized how they'd run rings around him. And there was a pivot to the East, so-called containment of China, but it was just not enough fast enough. And everything Obama did was give power away, American power to China. It was in that time that the island chains were established. All of the things which made China feel it could keep expanding, Obama fed into the system. And so essentially, yes, they've duped us. It wasn't, but now there's a change. I think the year 2020 was significant. It was brought about by the you know acceleration of a trade war China wasn't winning. Um, and Trump's policy there was, I think, was spot on, if not erratically applied. Um, and then, of course, we had the pandemic, which brings into stark relief the fact China wanted the pandemic to spread, whatever source, whether it was from a laboratory accidentally released or intentionally released, we know that they, they kept the information to themselves. And then in that period when the West was dislocated, China did everything it could to maximize its influence, whether it was through the sale of PPE to appropriate mechanisms, whether it was the constriction of Australian economic um, trade because Australia demanded an inquiry into the source of the virus, or whether it was the annexation of Hong Kong, which as far as Britain is concerned is kind of the, the Rhineland's moment, the realization that China's word cannot be trusted. And then of course, throughout all of this, the West had turned a blind eye to the Ouija's plight because it wanted economic growth at a period when it was failing in its economic growth. It needed China to keep growing. So it turned a blind eye to the fate of the Ouija's and all of that has come out all in one year. What's led you to the belief that China had a grand plan to economically slip under the, the defences of the West? There's an awful lot of evidence if you take... Take time to read it and, you know, the number of very, very good books, What Victory Looks Like to China by um, Professor Jonathan Ward, a good friend of mine, is really good. It, 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 the detail in which the Chinese plan this is quite shocking and the way that they use their state organizations. I mean, Hawaii is a good example. You know, Hawaii is a state organization. It has links to the military. It's full of Trojan horses. And we were contemplating in Britain in integrating it with our communications network. How blind were we? When we when we decided not to, they tried to put economic pressure on us. And finally, last year, we realized there was a lot more going on. And even the intelligence agencies, when they were asked for opinions, dared not break, you know, break and tell the truth because they thought it would have economic impact on the country. So basically, China uses economic muscle to force countries to do what it wants until it's too late. And I think the pandemic has woken us up to who they really are and that they're the other side of a falling iron curtain. Do you think the West is going to become more economically independent rather because of the pandemic than because of Chinese hegemonic aspirations? I think the two go together. I think, I think you know, the pandemic and, the, you know, the realisation of who China is have come at the same time. 
And so the reorganization of supply lines is inevitable. I mean, if someone said to me, I'd like to invest in China and say, good luck, lucky to get your money out. You know, the last one in, not really. Um, and so I think it, there is a greed in the Western market dynamic. For example, the Chinese came to the European market to fund one of their bond issuance, state bond issuances. And of course, in Europe, we have negative interest rates. So, you know, what do bond investors do? They give their money to China, they invest because they have a positive yield. And we need to understand that when we do that, we're supporting a state that is a protagonist of our system. It doesn't just sit there passively with a different set of values. It's actively seeking to undermine us and run us over. So at what stage are we going to realize that investment in Chinese activity is undermining our immediate and, and intermediate future? It's a form of economic suicide and, and, and sovereign suicide. So we need to shift away from thinking it's okay to invest in China for a buck and you know undermine our future. Talking about shifts, will there be a shift in Chinese government? Will there be a shift of power or has she got the reins pretty tightly? Well, I think we can, either we can safely assume that the reins are in both hands and no one can even get close to him. And what is happening in China and what is happening in the way China relates to the outside world is his vision of China, without any doubt. He will be there until 3030. He will be governing over the critical white hot moment when, you know, tensions rise to the point of conflict. It will be under Xi's control. Are there any challenges to his power within China right now? Or are the purges, or not purges, but are the, or purges, <laughs> are the purges getting rid of that? I think, you know, th there might be a few latent people who've disguised themselves this far. But I think we can assume that, you know, the purging system, and we saw it with Stalin, his purges removed any both innocent and guilty with aspirations. And if you keep doing it regularly enough, you cut off any of the tall shoots and none are left. So I think you know, we can't look for redemption from that space. Talking about those purges, uh, well, recently, last year, in fact, 2020, officials in Wuhan who spoke out against the government handling of the virus were removed from their positions. Do you think that's a good example of the way that she removes his opposition? It's a prime example of the system and you've got to think of the system operates that way in China. And you've got to think of the system then being on steroids under Xi's guidance. Well, I think that's it from us. Thank you for listening, guys. We're going to come back with part two and discuss military matters. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Wynn.